0: Welcome to the Overtime Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Jillian Davis, and today I am going to do a different kind of podcast format. I'm going to do a Q&A. This was inspired by Nafisa, who has been on the podcast, who reached out to me uh, via a Twitter DM uh, with a question about someone on her team, and she suggested that this would be a really great uh, format for the podcast where people could send in questions in advance that I could answer on the podcast. So here we go. I think it's a great idea. I'm looking forward to getting all the questions from the users, so do make sure you get in touch with your question. You can do that via Twitter, whether it's a direct post or a direct message. Uh, Email me, Jillian, at OvertimeLeader.com or LinkedIn or... Um, Instagram. There are so many ways to get in touch. So if you have a question, uh, do reach out and just make sure to hashtag Ask Jillian and uh, I'll make sure that those go into uh, my To Be Answered folder. So today we've got three questions and I'm hoping that some of these are relevant for you guys. I'm sure they are. Here's the first question. I've got an employee who just doesn't seem to care about deadlines. We've spoken about this time and again. Uh, they are quite inexperienced from a, a, a work standing, so they're work young. And honestly, I am just at a loss on what to do as they have been with us for five months. So I think depending on what uh, country you're in and what labor laws apply to you, five months can be a significant amount of time. It's likely that they've gone over probation if you're in the UK. That tends to be three months three months. Uh, Canada's quite similar. Uh, In the U.S., depending on what kind of contract our time is less of an issue, but discipline from a manager point of view is key. So you've had someone for five months, they're inexperienced. Now that will mean that they have no benchmark. They have unlikely had a manager um, who's really been hard on them as to why deadlines are crucial And uh, this might be a case of actually having to uh, educate the impact of not meeting deadlines if that hasn't been done uh, before. So when uh, you talk about, we've spoken about it time and again, if that speaking about uh, includes, you know, it's not good that you've missed your deadline without context as to the impact those deadlines or missing those deadlines have on the rest of the team or on the business, you're putting the onus on the... Uh, inexperienced employee to connect the dots and I wish that we all connected the dots on our own time but for a lot of inexperienced people this has to be done for them um, because they don't have the context experience or understanding that their kind of small role which it will feel small um, has uh, on the bigger business and I had a case uh, where I had experienced uh, managers um or experienced employees um, who wouldn't do timesheets. Now we all hate doing timesheets. I'm one of the worst offenders. Uh, but in this uh, organization that I was in, um, the timesheets, it was a, a, an agency, so not doing your timesheets meant that finance uh, wasn't able to close uh, the month. And that meant we couldn't get a good idea of numbers. And for months I kept doing, you know, Speaking about it time and again. Can you do your timesheets? Can you do your timesheets? And it's really annoying for a manager, just as it's annoying as an employee to hear a manager have to go on about something really administrative, time and time and again, because you don't think doing your timesheets is all that important compared to everything else you have to do. And it was only until I added two things. One was explaining that even though I was in, an, I had an operations team, even though that they didn't work on client direct. Uh, work. The fact that they didn't do their timesheets meant that finance couldn't close their numbers, and the business couldn't get a good idea of target. And they were actually holding up a much bigger kind of cog in the whole machine. Um, and and because we didn't have client services, we could be able to do our hours technically uh, or our timesheets, you know, way before the end of the month. Um, so that that was a reflection on us of a team to the rest of the business, and that's not a good look. Um, and, um, one of my team assistants also brought in, um, Rice Krispie treats, uh, which surprisingly worked quite well. Uh, so that's one thing to do is to, to kind of connect the dots, tie it to some kind of reward, and it can be as simple as candy. Um, the other thing uh, that happened to me when I was in my parents' business was, um, follow-ups so we i had to uh, constantly remind um the recruiters to do candidate follow-ups um and it was it was never happening similar to the timesheets always saying it people not doing it and i finally in one-to-ones explained you know the reason why candidate follow-ups are so important is because a candidate can sometimes and oftentimes become a client and if we don't focus on the candidate experience and you know once a candidate say doesn't reach the top three they kind of become chop liver and they never hear back from us it's not a good look and it means they're unlikely when they are in a different role and they've got um, the ability or budget to choose a recruiting partner they're going to think of the one that they had the best experience with whether they got the job or not and so reinforcing that actually candidate experience and follow-up emails had such a big impact on our business and that was something that they could do at any level, any like work experience and the positive impact that had on the company. And once I connected those dots, it was actually amazing to see um, how much candidate follow-ups improved uh, just by removing the task-based part of it and talking more about the impact of that task. So if you've got any follow-up questions from this question, send it to me, hashtag AskJillian so I know you want this to go on the podcast. Uh, But that's how I think you should deal with reinforcing deadlines. Now, you're going to have to know at what point do you let this person go because maybe they're just not disciplined and they're not getting it or they're not taking it seriously enough for you as a manager um, and and deal with that accordingly. But five months is a pretty good amount of time to kind of suss someone out. But you've got to make sure that, you know, this isn't a reflection of your management and are you able to give them enough time Um, because they don't have a lot of experience to bring them up to speed and to teach them and all the things that comes with that. Next question. Okay, I really like this one. The place I'm working at is, let's say, developing their feedback culture. Basically, people don't feel comfortable doing it, and I don't know how to do it in a useful way. They tend to talk about people to their manager instead of the person in question. In the short term, I have someone in my team who I've had numerous comments and complaints about. However, he's never received that specific feedback to his face and also feels like he's doing a better job at the things. Uh, So, some of the comments are related to his manner and his temper. He's also always really sweet when I talk to him. So, my question is what would you do as a manager in that instance? I need to make sure his year end review is based on things I can validate. And I really hate secondhand feedback. But I also don't want to miss out on this bad behavior if it is indeed still happening. Great question, and I am sure some of you listeners can relate to this scenario where you're hearing in your one-to-ones with other team members that this individual is just a nightmare to work with, but then when you get one-on-one with him, or them, in this case it's male, um, he or she, uh, when you get the one at a time with them, uh, they are great, there's no problems, they're complete angels. So, when I was a less experienced manager, I would jump into getting involved. And I realized the danger of, well, the danger of using secondhand feedback is extremely dangerous. And it's much better as a manager to Put the onus on these other team members that are struggling to work with him uh, to give that feedback and actually make that part of their deliverable. So we're not going to, I would actually use sentences like, we're not going to talk about this again until you've delivered some of this feedback and raised his awareness. And I would be there to coach them and set them up Uh, so that they felt comfortable in giving that feedback. I would also reinforce that if by giving that feedback, um, and and I would also stress it should be written written feedback, um, verbal first but followed up in writing, uh, that to encourage him to talk to me, the manager, um, and to talk it through. And therefore, one, you get the people that have witnessed the behavior to call it out and identify them and therefore raising that person's awareness. And if they are being faced with a blind spot and it's really throw them for a loop, uh, to go see the manager to talk it through. And then that gives also the manager to start talking about it. But a manager cannot, at least in my belief, cannot act on secondhand feedback unless it's kind of like a super serious and significant offense. Um... Another thing that can be helpful in this um, is a 360 degree review process or feedback process and obviously you don't want to kind of call someone out and only do it with them so it's something any manager can kind of kickstart at any time of the year. It doesn't have to be at the performance review uh, point of view or point of time. Um, So a 360 review is very simple. You You ask yourself a bunch of questions, your manager asks, answers the same questions, and you get people that you work alongside to ask those questions, and the point is that you get a well-rounded 360-degree view of what it's like to work with you. I am a huge advocate for feedback. I'm a huge advocate for raising our own blind spots by asking for feedback. Um, I've seen some 360s go horribly wrong because people have used them as the one and only time to share what they think about the other person and it can be a bombardment of some negative surprises and I would I always try to manage that properly and, and if people do have issues to really either fix it and and talk to the person about it uh, or to stop talking about it with me because it becomes a big waste of time um, and I think if you can manage a 360 review process properly where you help the people that need to give the feedback with their answers so it doesn't become an unconstructive um, kind of lambasting of this individual, uh, especially if it's anonymous, because then you know it's it, that that's horrible to get um, anonymous negative feedback from people that you're working with, especially if you didn't know about it. Um, I don't think that can be very constructive and it can send someone on a very different path. As a manager, you really want to keep kind of your team's dynamics top of mind. So think about things you'll do that will um, increase the trust and comfort within the team so that they feel more comfortable uh, giving feedback to each other. Um, and lastly, I, I think it's you know important to remember that even if someone has a temper or has bad manner, um, sometimes they're really unaware of their impact. And that's one thing that I've picked up in the work that I've been doing is most people, you know, just have completely no clue that how they speak or how they raise their voice um, has a negative impact on the rest of the people that they're working with. And so people take that kind of observation and make judgments that they then continue to reinforce and never uh, tell that person that they feel that way. And it can be a huge shock uh, to that individual when they find out that actually their team thinks they're really rude or has a temper. Um, I don't believe people wake up in the morning wanting to give that impression to their colleagues. Um, I think, you know, it just gets lost in translation, and we all come from different backgrounds and, you know, how we speak to each other in our families, our friends, this all can translate in very different ways. So I always go in with the assumption that the person isn't deliberately um, going in with that kind of bad behavior and isn't deliberately trying to cause issue in the team and that can sometimes help with giving the feedback um, because it you're just you know raising awareness of how it feels to you because it's not fact just because you've perceived that behavior in that way does not make it fact and it doesn't make it right or wrong and what you're doing with feedback or what you want to encourage your team to do with feedback is to just um, help this person raise awareness that actually when you speak like that, I interpret it as bad manners or tempers. You may not um, in, intend on giving away that uh, impression, but that's how it's been received. And I'd love to find a way to work together uh, where, you know, I don't walk off feeling like you've got a bad temper or you're angry. Um, so yeah, so as a manager in this case, I would spend a lot of time making these individual uh, team members feel comfortable to the point that they are able to give that feedback in a constructive way. Uh, but I would also put boundaries out on them and say, listen, I can't keep talking about this every week. Um, I can't do much with secondhand feedback. So you guys are really going to have to feel comfortable and, and, and figure this out on your own and when it happens. And, and I'm there to support you and to reinforce that, you know, if things don't go well, that maybe he should talk to me and then I can move that conversation forward. And the last question that I have Um, And and obviously, if you've got things to add um, or if you've got scenarios that you think, actually, I did the complete opposite and it worked out really well, um, send them in. Give me the feedback. I'll share it with the community. I think this is the whole point of Overtime is to give people these insights um, because we all go about things differently. And uh, I don't think there's a wrong or right approach. Um, So last question Hey, Jillian, I've been asked to run a session for all the line managers at my company on making the most out of one-to-ones with direct reports. I wondered if you had any material on or you could suggest any good material um, that maybe you've used before. So I think one-to-ones are the foundation between the relationship um, between manager and employee. Uh, Those one-to-ones should be sacred time And um, needs to be uh, dealt with accordingly. And I've seen a lot of managers brush them off. um, Don't put in place any structure. uh, Don't put in any kind of like formal note-taking or uh, documentation. And it's really just used as a casual coffee catch-up. Now those are good, but they should not replace the formal one-to-ones that you should be having with your team members on a very regular basis. Now, I don't think there's any strict cadence that you need to follow. I have found that when I've got larger teams with mixed levels of experience, I adapt my um, amount of one-to-ones on a case-by-case basis. So, um, I might have a more junior person who is uh, going through a learning curve, and we might meet twice a week to kind of just keep on top of stuff. I might have someone else who you know is feeling comfortable, but still. A relatively inexperienced, and we'll meet once a week. I might have someone that's more experienced and we'll meet bi-weekly. And then I've had some people where, you know, they don't love the formal thing, but when they do reach out for help, um, I, I, you know, make them a priority. But I always make sure to have a one-to-one at least once a month, uh, no matter how experienced or how much of a self-starter and go-getter they are. And that's for two reasons. One, to keep on top of what they're doing and making sure that they're in line focused and give them an opportunity to give them any updates or feedback. And two, to just get in good practice of documenting all the relationships with the people that you manage. Uh, I think we only appreciate the importance of documentation once we've gone through a negative performance case where we've kicked ourselves for not documenting stuff. Um, So I always say your future self will thank you if you get in the habit of documenting the meetings you have with your employees. And I just like to be prepared for worst case. And even though some people might be great right now, you never know what can happen and you will hate yourself for not having a strong documentation. So get in that habit. Um, one of the resources that I absolutely love to use when looking at um, conducting one-to-ones is the framework that I've shared before in one of the newsletters, um, from Nobel. Uh, Bud Cadell was on the podcast uh, at the end of last year. He's the founder of Nobel. Nobel helps uh, leaders manage change in uh, within their organizations. And they've got a really great resource center. And they shared in it how they conduct their one-to-ones. And they've got six steps. And I always provide this as a baseline when managers are looking for any kind of framework because you can kind of cherry-pick which steps make sense to you. Um, But the six steps are, one, talk to the member about uh, their strengths. So um, getting them to understand, you know, how they can play to win, leverage what they're good at. The second thing is what's on their plate. So review the projects or tasks that they're going through. um, Look at any um, roadblocks that might be coming up. um, And also just, like, connect that what they're working on Plays into their best strengths. Uh, three, check in on what are they most excited about right now, um, to kind of show where what's motivating them, uh, where they're ener- where they're getting energy from, um, and what's kind of adding to a positive source. And I think in some work environments, this can be a really good practice. It's kind of like gratitude when so- everything feels like it's falling down or out of control. It's really nice to get that question from your manager and for you to force to be to force think about actually what's going well and what's giving me energy. Um, and then follow up with what are you least excited about? So what are they procrastinating? What's deflating them? What's taking energy away? Um, and I think as a manager, it's important to recognize some patterns in people's work streams that they not may, might not be aware about. So if um, similar tasks are constantly taking their energy away, then maybe it's, not, it's really not in line with their skill set. They're not going to develop in that way. And then it might be worth reshifting some projects if possible. Uh, the fifth step in a one-to-one is what's in your way, um, and uh, helping them identify, you know, roadblocks. And most importantly, what I think the role of the manager is in this in this situation is how can you help them? And I don't mean do it for them, but how can you enable them to go around these roadblocks, go under them, go around them, and basically turn the, turn them around. Um, and lastly, what feedback, ask what feedback you can give me or where I can give you feedback. And so you kind of end with this mutual uh, feedback moment, uh, which I think is really good practice to get, uh, to one show that you're accepting of feedback. So you're not reactive. You just take it in and listen. Um, and that you're a manager that, that appreciates that feedback. And so you're leading by example. Um, but also giving that opportunity to, Uh, give them some feedback if need be. And um, I must stress that feedback is not always about constructive and what could be better. Um, It can be uh, positive, what's going great. And I think you'll know with the kind of person that you're working with um, what they'll need in that moment. And uh, something that I picked up in a session I was doing with a client, so we were having um, groups of uh, middle managers from different departments come in and and we meet regularly and talk about, uh, you know, just management and leadership related topics. And it's really fun because everyone kind of shares their, their, you know, wins or what they've been doing that's worked and what hasn't worked. And one thing that someone shared that has worked well for them, which I think is ingenious, is that uh, she said that she gets all her, uh, at the end of one-to-ones, she gets the Um, employee to do a summary of uh, the one-to-one, so writes up the notes. Uh, This is for two reasons. One, um, it's really important to kind of get uh, conversations out on paper uh, because, you know, we may not interpret what's being said to us in the way that the uh, person talking intends for it. So it's always really good to just check that you've picked up on the same thing and you're on the same page. I often find that, and myself included, uh, managers take the responsibility of typing up the notes, so then you've added more to your um, task list, and depending on the size of your team, that can become an impossible feat because you're just constantly writing up meeting notes. So I thought that was an excellent way to delegate and and, um, kind of share the accountability, Um, but also it forces the team member to really think through uh, what was said and basically write their version of events, which then you can review and ensure that you are on the same page. So I thought that was excellent. And I am constantly recommending managers to, instead of feel, taking the onus of writing up the notes, is getting the team member to write up the notes in the one-to-ones and keeping that them in good practice by documenting um, meetings and conversations. So that's it for the three questions. I hope this was enjoyable for you. It was very enjoyable for me. I had a New Year's goal where I was going to do more podcasts where I wasn't interviewing anyone but just talking into the mic. A little bit uncomfortable at first, but it's nice to have some structure around this, and I am looking forward to getting more of your questions. So as I said, reach out to me on any social or email or communication channel that feels most comfortable for you. Hashtag Ask Jillian, so I know uh, that it's a question you want answered on the podcast. And i um, looking forward to the next one, and uh, looking forward to getting all your questions. If you'd like to join our community, head on over to OvertimeLeader.com, and you'll be able to subscribe to our weekly newsletter where I share uh, tips, insights, and stories from uh, leaders and researchers and experts from around uh, the sphere of influence on leadership. Once again, that's OvertimeLeader.com.